From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for January 2nd, 2019. Ryan Ballage is here, Golf News Net. We got a preview of the 2019 golf season. Hello, Ryan. Hey, Jeremy. I'm good. So uh, he and I were talking about this off air, and I said I would finish it on air because it was a really just cool story. There's two golf courses in Aruba, only 27 holes. One is is um, t- uh, uh, Tierra del Sol, which is the more known one, which is up at the top of the island. Um, Aruba is a very arid place in some places. A lot of people don't realize this. They see all the water. It's very arid in the upper parts. And, uh, you know, prickly pear cactus, a lot of what you see in, like, deserts. And that's where that that, that, that golf course is built around. Um, but I was way down south at a nine-hole course called DV Links. And um, it rains in Aruba, like, every other day for, like, two minutes. And... Um, I really had not thought about rain. It didn't rain through my time there um, in Aruba. And I get on, I get my cart and I go down. And I start seeing puddles everywhere. And I'm like, what are these puddles doing? And then on like the third hole, I take a casual water drop. And I was avoiding puddles and, and where to drive the cart. And it turns out that uh, Hurricane Michael um, swiped Aruba. It did, not, it, it, it did no damage to Aruba, but it just swiped it, kind of. Mm-hmm. And it dropped the rain on it. And those golf courses are not built with the same drainage that they're built with here. So the water just stands, you know, and just stays. And it was a, a, a wet golf course when it had not really rained like that in a couple of weeks. It was really interesting. Um, the other part of it, which is funny, is here I am, I'm alone, I'm driving... And I get to the second, um, I, I, I hit it in the rough on the second hole, as, and, and the cart path was on the second, um, or, uh, sorry, was on the uh, left side of the second hole. So I, I drive up, and I look to my left, and I've got cactus guarding the entire left side of the cart path. This, is, this part of the golf course is, is in a residential area. There's a, a fence there and all this. I'm like, oh, my God. So I'm like, do I get out of the other side of the cart in a puddle or the left side of the cart next to prickly pear cactus where wrong, one wrong step can ruin my day? <laughs> so that, that was uh, kind of interesting. Um, fun golf course, great round. Um, but I did not expect prickly pear cactus to be a problem uh, while, uh, uh, while playing golf in Aruba. <laughs> I mean, Mexico was kind of like that in uh, at TPC Donzante Bay, which is in Baja, California, where you have, it feels tropical, but it's because you're right by water, but you kind of look all around you, and it's, I mean, it's desert. I mean, it's definitely desert. And so it's a weird dichotomy of playing this gorgeously green golf course with this incredible sea view, and then you kind of look off the fairway and it's like rocks and dirt prickly stuff. It's, it's it's a strange feeling. Same, I mean, Las Vegas is in the same way as it's landlocked, but uh, in terms of the grass and desert contrast, feels the same way. But uh, I mean, the night before we played the first round at Zante Bay, we had the remnants of a hurricane come through, like you were describing, and uh, but it drained. It, it drained really well, so that was kind of the surprising part of it. Yeah, it is really. It, it's kind of cool to go to a place like that that honestly probably shouldn't have golf or people living there, and it. 
it just looks different. It's different than anything you can experience here. It was it was really interesting, and the thing that I didn't realize, none of us realized, is 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 is, is how humid it was. I played golf on November fourth. Heat index ninety four during the day. Heat index eighty eight at night. Over and over and over again. I came out of New Jersey. It was. And, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that I had to treat my body and treat my day-to-day and treat the prep for that round as if I was playing a summer round in, in New Jersey and not a winter round. Yeah. And that was that was interesting. I mean, I, I, had two, I had two bottles of water with me because that's what I normally do in the heat. Like, I went through my heat regimen, which I never expected I would have to do. For nine holes of golf in Aruba, <laughs> but that's just yeah, it, it. It really does kind of change your uh, it changes your way of thinking because I I don't really get to play a whole lot of golf up here in January or February or even March really maybe more March and I'll play golf in Orlando for the PJ Merchandise Show or then not too long at the end of February early March for our annual golf trip again in Orlando and. You hit balls, you know, as best you can up here, and it's cold, and it kind of hurts if you hit a bad one, and it doesn't fly very far, and all kinds of stuff. And then you get down to Florida, and it, it just is totally different. And uh, it takes so much time to adjust, not only to the weather, but then you're playing with warm weather grass, you're playing with a Bermuda grass, most cases in Florida. And so it's, it's just totally mind-blowing. It's almost like the practice isn't worth it other than to make sure your arms still work. It's hilarious you say that. That was my first time playing that kind of grass in like four years. And um, on the second or third hole, I had, a, I had a chip where, and I'm playing these fantastic Tyler's rental clubs. His golf course did a great job with their rental clubs. And I'm hitting a chip on the wedge, uh, on, on, on the, um, with a wedge, and because of the, the grass, um, it grabbed the club and the ball rolled up the club and I left it short and I'm like, hey, welcome back to uh, this kind of grass. Hello, Bermuda. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was hilarious. The short game is such a different feeling. I mean, it's... Yeah. Um, it, it, I, I chip and putt completely different. Well, I chip. Putting's pretty similar, but yeah. chip completely differently in Bermuda grass. A lot more digging, a lot more... Uh, use of the front, you know, the leading edge, uh, just to try to dig in and get underneath the ball. It's just, it's just not possible otherwise uh, to get underneath it and kind of get some air. No, and and you, you say that. You have to keep on the ground. Yeah, and and I'm the same way. And the first time I played it at Kingsmill, I didn't know enough about grass. I had no idea. I love playing bump and runs, and none of my bump and runs were were, were working. I'm like, what is happening here? My form's right. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm just trying to play a nice little, you know, back of the stands, pushing wedge, gap wedge, bump and run. Like, why is this not working? Yeah. It was very weird. And it took me a couple of years to figure out, okay, wait, hold on a second. You know, you have to give this some extra juice. You got to change some things up here. You know, you know, make sure the club gets in the back of the ball right um, and not have it grab. Um Very different. Speaking of things being different, that's the rules of golf in 2019. Um, I had Joe Foley on from the USGA um, back about two and a half weeks ago. Not sure if you uh, have done any uh, uh, rules of golf stuff, if you're having anybody on from the USGA. Um, 
First of all, um, first of all, have you, uh, by the way? I've done a bunch of posts for Golf News Net. We haven't done anything on the podcast yet, but just a lot of kind of explainers on some of the things that golfers will experience either reading the new rule book or if they're, they're competitors in places in a league or tournament that, that, that will be different for them. Right. And we haven't done anything podcasting yet with USGA. Gotcha. So um, here's, some, here's, here's some insight for you on that. They are very concerned about the new drop rule. Um, And this is something to watch for golf fans out there. If you drop from the wrong height and catch it, you get a free redo. If you don't, it's a penalty. So if you drop from the regular height and just, you know, go by habit, okay, it's a water drop, I know exactly what I'm doing, it's a club length from here, this is my spot, I don't need any rules official, blah, 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 okay, I drop it from there, whoops, if you don't catch the whoops in time, that is a penalty. So, my question to you, Sir Ryan Ballingy, what is the, uh, how soon will somebody make this penalty and have it live or, or tape on TV. How soon into Golf Channel's coverage of the Century Terminator Champion, because I'm convinced this is going to happen this week, will somebody botch this? I say four hours. Yeah, it's, I imagine it's got to happen sometime this week. It, it is, and Justin Thomas talked about it a little bit in his news conference yesterday. He was asked about how much he looked at the new rules how much he's aware of them and he said you know he's kind of right over them he's trying to commit some to memory same thing with his caddy and they but that 95% of the time he calls an official in when he needs a ruling and a lot of players are like that because especially top players because if you're on TV you're being scrutinized whether you realize it or not they come yep. to so Justin Thomas like a lot of players will call them an official even if they know the rule by heart and are executing it properly just to make sure they're covered because under the rules of golf if you get a bad ruling from an official and you follow it you're still okay you're yep. still not penalized for taking improper relief or doing something that turns out to be improper if you get a bad ruling so that's why he's going to continue to do that but I would would not be surprised if we see sometime this week someone drop from shoulder height or above knee height and find himself in trouble. And the thing Joe Foley said to me um, is that most of the other rules, um, you can play it by the old way and be okay. So, for example, now you can ground your club in what, in what used to be called a hazard. It's now a penalty area. This does not include bunkers, but it includes uh, water hazards. So, for example... If the PGA Tour marks the red line, let's say three yards or two yards above where the water is, if you were if, if previously if you were within that two yards, you couldn't ground your club. Now you can. The point that Joe is making is that even if you forget that you can ground your club, you're not going to run into trouble by 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 not grounding your club. Right? There's no penalty for not following the new rule. This is one of the very few new rules for players that could actually hurt them versus help them. So there's no penalty for forgetting a rule that that has no way of of hurting you. This is one of the few that does, if that makes sense. Yeah, the only other thing I think about that potentially leads to an issue is when you're tending the flag stick 
for a putt. It, it seems like there's some kind of dubious language about what, what point you have to decide to pull the stick as to whether or not, you know, do you get three-quarters of the length of the putt, do you get half the length of the putt, at what point? Because if it does hit the stick and you're trying to pull it out, that's a problem. But if you're just leaving it in regardless, then that's not an issue. And if it does hit the stick, that's not a penalty moving forward. So that's going to be an interesting thing to me. I think that's a really nuanced one. It probably will not happen very often, but that's the only other thing I can think of among the litany of rule changes that, again, you could be doing something you think is legal and it could hurt you. well, well, well. Here's another one on that, um, which is the the uh, red marked hazard lateral uh, movement. So the movement to the other side of the hazard is gone. That's 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 not allowed anymore. But for most players, they're calling in an official anyway in that case because that's a complicated ruling and you got to find the points on the other side. I'm confused about the one you're talking about. So are you saying that, okay, I have a putt, I choose to have the flag, flag stick in, okay, and then halfway through the putt, I change my mind and want it out? And is that allowed? Is that what you're saying? That's, yeah, basically you can't. If you're going to have the flag stick in, you need to have it in. You can't decide at the last second, oh, crap, it's going too fast. I have to pull it out. Gotcha. Okay. So that's going to be really strange because I'm sure that was probably the rule before. Uh, if you were putting off the green, I don't know what the rule was before. I don't. I mean, you didn't really, it didn't matter. I mean, if you were putting for the green, that thing was coming out regardless. So it didn't matter when it came out. So it's, I've just seen a couple of tweets about it that have me concerned. I don't know in the practical application whether it'll actually come up, but it is something I've seen that, and that's, again, among these rule changes, you know, they're kind of 30, 35 of them, but there are 20 big highlights. I think that's the one that really uh, concerns me most other than the drop height. But again, it's one that will come up one in a thousand times. So it's not that big of a deal, I don't think. And to me, the, the tending rule doesn't change because with, you know, tending the flag stick every time you would pull it out, you know, once the putt has been struck. So right. that is not, a, you know, it, to me it would be more can you then put the flag stick back in if you've taken it out already. So I think this is more, as you said, for somebody who wanted no part of taking the flag stick out, so the, so the caddy was nowhere near it, and, and decided, oh, okay, we should now, you know, um, you know, hey, run, take it out, please, fast, you know, that sort of deal um, is, is more where the problems may lay out. For the rest of this, I think it helps. And for a whole bunch of situations involving people stepping on balls, misidentifying balls, all that stuff, I think those clarifications will help things. But I'm with Justin Thomas. I think this is going to lead to a whole lot of... Uh, slow place of pay, pace of play and the USGA is going to be like the first six events to help this, the, the sluggers and the Mark Russells of the world um, figure this out. Um, what we what also uh, is still being figured out is who will be number one in the world um, on any given week. Right now, Brooks Kepka has 9.62 points and Justin Rose has 9.61 points, the point of which is uh, it's very close. Um, let's talk about Brooks for a second here. Um, he starts the year winning three of the last six majors that he's entered, or, or three of seven, whatever that stat is. Um, it's an interesting year for me 
for him uh, for this reason. Um, I think a lot of people know his name now. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Because um, I, I think Tiger's the PGA Championship highlight still not him, even though he hit some great shots on that back nine. Um, does Brooks Kepka need to win a major or some other thing? And I put that in quotes because it's so lame. But, like... To me, Brooks Kepka is here, right? And we should be putting the same expectations we do on Brooks Kepka. Uh, sorry, we should be putting the same expectations we put on Brooks that we put on DJ and JT and Spieth and all these guys and, and, and Rory. And he doesn't get any of it. He just keeps flying. When will he start having the pressure put on him? Because that's what I think is interesting. Tiger has always talked about... He knew he had to get better in a certain area. He knew that being number one wasn't good enough and he had to keep pushing. And whether that did him good or bad is debatable, but he always pushed. I feel like nobody's pushing Brooks Kepka besides maybe Claude Harmon and Dustin Johnson. <laughs> well, I, I think Brooks is pretty motivated. I think he is always looking for a motivation. I think that's the reason why he tries to find a chip on his shoulder whether it's he doesn't get asked to be interviewed at the head of the tour championship or that someone tries to make a case for Francesco Molinari as a player of the year as opposed to him or he doesn't make ESPN list the most dominant athletes but so he gets Tony Gunn does and a horse does you know, like uh, Justify does and he try, he's always seemingly looking for someone slighting him to motivate him and I think he's got a reservoir of that as deep as it needs to go. But I don't think that there needs to be any pressure applied to a guy who's won three of the last six majors. For two reasons. One, he knows, internally, he knows what he can do. He knows that he can win a lot of majors in a hurry. He knows he can probably win the U.S. Open for the rest of his life, or at least the next 15. Uh, so, and he knows that he could probably win a PGA Championship because he's dominating a golf course with four par fives. He knows he's gotten better at the Masters every time he's competed there. And he missed out on that opportunity this year. So I, for, for his perspective, I, I think he still feels there's a ceiling to achieve, but that he's also established himself as a, as a great closer, as a guy who can basically send off anybody who doesn't care what their name is or what they bring to the table. Externally, I don't think he's going to place pressure on him yet, but that's number one. He did it basically with four months off to start the year. He just handled everything so well, and he doesn't seem to be flappable, which I think is the key thing. And this year, I think he's going to get a great year. I think anytime you win multiple majors in the not an all-time great, you're going to think, okay, I'm probably not going to win two again. I'm not going to win two or more again. So if he gets one, awesome. I mean, that's still incredible. If he wins one this year, that's four of the last ten starts that he's won a major, which is a Tiger-like clip. And if he doesn't, well, still three out of ten. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think that for him this year, has to be a lot of self-motivation. And I think that's why he's always looking forward to it. All right, I've achieved a lot. Uh, I've managed to do some pretty remarkable things, including coming back to the pension at some point, he thought this would have to completely stand the game for that. So I think for him, it's, uh, I, I just need to find fuel. I need more fuel. And he seems to have no problem finding that. 
Uh, talking to Ryan Ballinger here on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Jordan Spieth is a fascinating figure to me in 2019. Um, he goes winless in 2018. He said that he did the wrong things for much of the year, swing-wise, technique-wise, practice-wise. Um, he got married, took a long time off away from the game. Um, what seems to me like a total reset. He doesn't have this Hawaii twofer to get ready for the year, so he's got a, a weird schedule, um, a funky schedule to start his year um, in, in the run-up to the players and then the Masters. Um, I hate the word must win in golf. It's, it's just, it doesn't really fit, but I think you know what I'm saying. Like, Is this a year where Jordan Spieth's got a... Because I feel like we are on the precipice of Jordan Spieth firing Cameron McCormick and Michael Greller for no reason. I think this is something that a lot of golfers would have done by now. He doesn't because he's so attached to his team. And I think the right move is to stick with your team forever. Um, what I don't know how to view 2019 from the outside for Jordan Spieth. One win changes everything. But this is a very weird year in that he is so close to doing... I mean, he could win the Grand Slam this year. And the whole narrative around him changes. But right now, he is a disheveled, lost golfer at last we saw him. It's a crossroads, yeah. The statement, and Roy Napoli, by the way. But we're speaking in a different sense that his worst professional year in 2018, yes, I mean, he, he could have conceivably won two major championships. He had a chance to win the Open Championship by being in the lead on Sunday, although that went away really quickly. And then he had an opportunity to come from incredibly far behind and maybe put enough pressure on Patrick Reed to win the Masters. I think you're going to have to shelve that a little bit. One great round, uh, or maybe a little bit of luck to get there, but I, I don't think about it that much. But he did have a legitimate chance to win the Open Championship. Everything else is kind of eh. I mean, at best. He lost his putter for several months, started to get it back. His striving has never been, in my view, all that great. And his ball striking with his irons has really kind of got him in a position where he can let his short game shine to make putts. But we knew this from 2015 and 2016 that it's Like Cameron Champ, Sam Burns, 
year for a lot of guys. We're talking to Ryan Boundy here on Teeing Up. Ryan, your connection sometimes goes in and out, so I don't know if you need, need to take like two steps to the right, but like sometimes you lean over and the connection's perfect, and sometimes you like, you know, something happens and then it goes a little awry, so, so just something to keep in mind as, as we go forward here. Um, Cameron Champ is not in the Masters, yet he's listed on Oz for the Masters, which is hilarious. Um, I think he's the one guy who I am a little wary of uh, and, ju and just want to make sure he's okay mentally. There is a lot of, 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 of eyeballs on him. A lot of people think he's a game changer. A lot of people want to see him. And I would argue that starting out the year, someone like him may have more pressure than Dustin, who's number three in the world, or you know Tommy Fleetwood, who's 12, or Patrick Reed, who's who's 15 like see what i mean there like I, I feel like a guy who's 92nd in the world has more people watching him than than you know d or 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 thinking about him or wanting him to succeed or hoping he gets into augusta than like a dj type person i, I think that people are justifiably interested in a guy who averaged 340 something on the web.com for last year yes when he won at the Sanderson Farms, he also did it by basically hitting 40% of the fairways and then just powering his way through with wedges and short irons on the greens and making a boatload of putts. He gained a ton of strokes in putting that week. I think that was, that was the big key to his success, much more so, I think, than his driving, which is going to be what it's going to be pretty much every week. His world ranking is a little bit deceptive. He's 92nd in the world. He has 33 ranking events. So he's still subject to the minimum divisor by seven more events into this year. So even by virtue of just playing and having some good finishes, he's not going to get the same benefit that he could get once he gets to that 40 number. So these next seven tournaments could be really interesting for him because if he plays well in them, he will shoot up the rankings and he will easily be in the top 50 and then get into the Masters without concern. So for me, Tamara Champ gets the, the, my kind of peaked interest at the start of this year. If he can come out the gates similarly to what he did once he got his PGA Tour card, which was three top 25 finishes and a victory, or four top 25 finishes and a victory, three top 10 finishes and a victory, then, okay, this, this guy could be for real and we could be looking at 
a meteoric rise in the world ranking, kind of like John Rahm when he came out was so quickly just racking up points. But like with John Rahm, who has had multi-win seasons since becoming a professional, at, at some point you kind of figure out their flaws and what they're not good at, and then they've got to get a little bit better at it. And once they do, then you start thinking about them a little bit more seriously. For Rahm, it's his temper and just his mental attitude. He's a little bit better at that than he used to be. For Champ, it's going to be driving accuracy because he's got to start hitting more than 50% of the fairway. And it's going to be, can he continue to, can he continue to finish well when he can just only grind out rounds? We, he doesn't have short game working that like propel him to winning tournaments. So it, I want to pay a lot of attention to him because I think he's exciting and interesting. But uh, it's also, I think part of it is people want to see if this, next generation of bomb and gouge bombier and gougier will actually work alright um, before we move on to, to some lightning round stuff is there anything you're fascinated by that I have not brought up yet uh, no I mean I think we talked about speed who's kind of the big one Brooks can he keep it up Tiger but we'll get to that once he decides what he's going to play I assume that's Riviera first uh, maybe Tory. Wait, 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 stop right there. You think it's a, yeah, uh, um, so she's no, 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 no. Okay. Oh, it's got okay, to, anyway, so it's got to, I got sure the, 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 all right, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold okay, on. Okay, I'm with you. Hold on. Oh, God. You're all right. Oh, boy. It's so weird. All right, oh, okay. We're, 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 we're still on. So, sorry about that, okay. folks. Um, You're all right. <laughs> I'm fine, you're fine. As, as I said in the, uh, in, in the, uh, intro to the last podcast uh, where one of this stuff happened. Um, you know, it's just something I deal with and I'm fine. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so you think Tiger may skip Tory? Uh, uh, that's what I was getting to. You think Tiger may skip Tory and start his season at Riviera? There's a remote possibility, I guess. I mean, it's a place he's dominated his entire career, but I, I don't know what his 43-year-old body is going to feel, and I don't think he knows that either. And this is the biggest schedule revamp of his entire career. Yeah. Even before the FedEx Cup came along, he kind of knew when Tiger was going to play, and he didn't play in the fall. So you played Jan- late January through whenever the actual end of the season was, and that was kind of August, September maybe, and he took a little while off. He did the Tour Championship whenever that was, you know, November, and that was the end. But now he's got to think about it entirely differently. I mean, for basically from the WGC Mexico, and really it's Genesis because that's just the next week. So from Genesis on, he's got to play a lot of tournaments. I mean, he's got to play Genesis. I assume he'll play Mexico or Honda, take your pick. He's going to play the Palmer because that's just what he's going to do. He's going to play players. He'll skip Dallas Bar. Do you play the max play because it's free money, or you skip that for some time off? Play the Masters, and and also the thing about the the, the the match play, and from the people I've talked to, one of the issues there is it's free FedEx Cup points, it's free money, it's world ranking points, 
But if your game is on, that's seven matches in five days. That's a lot of golf, and we don't know if he can handle that. Right, a lot of golf to play. I mean, I, I think he probably feels exhausted playing four days of golf. Yes. I, I, I think pretty much any player does, but certainly Tiger does. So it doesn't seem like a good thing for him to compete in. So does he skip that? And then if, if he does choose to skip that and he plays the players, then that's basically a competitive month away from the sport because he, I don't imagine him playing Tampa because he would play Bay Hill players Tampa and then lead into it so that's not going to work there's no way he plays the Texas Open that's foolish he's not going to do that he doesn't play the week prior to a major so you kind of have to figure he's almost got to play it just to have some competitive reps but he's already had some before then so he could be tired that's going to be really interesting to me, how he prepares for the Masters. But then even after all of that, you still got to deal with, what am I going to do in May? He's going to play the Wells Fargo and the PGA, and then he's going to skip a week and go play Memorial, then he's going to skip a week and play the U.S. Open, and then he's going to skip a couple of weeks and go play the Open. I mean, it, it just kind of adds up pretty quickly that all of a sudden, from February through basically the end of, you know, the middle of June, he's got the bulk of his golf in him for the year, then he gets a few weeks off, and then he's got to basically do it all over again in July and August. So what tournament is he going to avoid? Because the ones that he's not going to play, he's not going to play the Deer, obviously. He's not going to play uh, you know, the Rocket Mortgage Classic or the Travelers. I mean, those are great tournaments, but uh, and the Rocket Mortgage is sort of an offshoot of the National being its first year. But again, he's not going to go to that. He's not going to do the Twin Cities tournament. So where do you find your break? If you're, if you're him and you're going to play a whole ton of golf, where do you find the break? Maybe Tory's it. I don't think he's going to skip it, but maybe. We'll see. It's going to be fascinating how he goes about his schedule. Um, and, he, and he wants to play less than last year. Yet, if he takes the same path, he's basically playing you know, 15, 16 times. He played 18, I, I think it was, last year. They do that weird thing where the Ryder Cup counts as a start. So... Yeah. I, I I think it was eighteen non Ryder Cup starts, um, and it's just it's odd. It's an odd situation that he's in, um, and this new schedule does pose problems for people like him who need to pick and choose. And and in my mind, you know, there's an altitude change when it comes to Mexico, and and that's another thing. Like, can his body? My my personal take is he he plays Genesis. And um, Mexico takes the week off and then, you know, moves on and and does um, Bay Hill and the players off. And then I don't think he plays again until Augusta. But does he potentially... See, see, the problem is if he skips Mexico, now he's facing three weeks in a row. And that's... I don't think he can do that. So now he's skipping two events, which looks horrible optics-wise because he's sitting at home during... Um, Honda, five minutes from his house, basically. I mean, not not literally, but in theory. Um, and it, it, you know, I think from a thirty thousand feet view, it makes sense. But some of this stuff optically is going to be very weird, and I don't know how this will all play out. Um, let's just roll uh, th- uh, through some things. A couple things here. Um, which major winner, Reed, um, uh, Francesco, and Brooks? Um, has the worst year. Mm. I mean, I, I almost feel like it's got to be Francesco because it was a career year in 2018. But he still has 
I feel like he's got more potential in him for a good year than Reed because Reed every year seems to disappear for months at a time. Yep. Mm-hmm. He did it again this year. You're just like, all right, well, one of the Masters, uh, I'll see if the U.S. Open for a couple of good days, and then, all right, I'm out. That was it. And he spent more time being maligned on social media for the way he pitched about free stuff than the way he played on the golf course, even though he kind of started to put it back together toward the end of the calendar year. So, yeah, what's funky about that is he won. He he went one eight, so he won Masters eight at Wells Fargo, and then T forty one, T twenty nine, fourth at the U.S. Open, missed cut. T twenty eight, twenty eight, nine at the Porsche European Open, wherever that is. T twenty eight, missed cut. T twenty eight, thirty five, nineteen, twenty eight, seventeen. Um, uh, sorry, uh, so, sorry, seventh in Shanghai, second in Dubai. Um, to end his year, and then 45th and in, in Hong Kong and 11th at Tiger's event, but there's a lot of travel in there, so we'll throw those out. But he did get it back towards the end of the year. It, it is very weird that just, you know, I, he, he is very fluky, and I think that's something to keep in mind. And also, and I don't get into politics on this show, I think the family dynamic here could weigh on him in the future. More and more people are going to keep bringing this up. And, yeah. and and I, I think this could be a, you know and, and it's not you know the the normal golf channel interviews I'm talking about if he keeps on winning majors and people keep going to his parents and keep going to his family that's something he's got to deal with every time he wins a big event. Um, it's it's an it's an interest. What? And that's certainly not going to go away. I mean, I don't, yeah, I genuinely think he doesn't care what anyone thinks of him. Until someone cares what they think of him. Yeah. A strange way of saying it, that's kind of the way he carries himself, but Brooks Kepka literally doesn't, says he doesn't care what people think of him. He clearly cares what people think of him. Yes. I don't trust anybody who says they don't care what anyone thinks of them, because that means they know what people think of them, versus someone who just carries on their life and never has to mention that convenient fact to anybody. Those are the people that really don't care, because they're confident in themselves. They believe and the people around them and what they're doing. So for me, like you said, Reed went on a huge limb this year, and it paid off. I mean, he kind of went on his own on equipment. He threw Callaway under the bus for how they managed his lies and loss, although I don't know how he didn't realize they were screwed up. And then he just went out on his own. He won a major. He kind of went with his own management, which is basically just his in-laws. And all of those things were pretty good in 2018. But what if they all think in 2019? What if everything that he believed paid off for him in 2018 does it next year or now this year? I'm really interested to see what that means for him because he has, again, a lot of potential because he doesn't back down. He is one of those guys who can finish it off when he gets into position. But if his year is so off that for whatever reason, whether it's his form isn't good or he does care more than he does let on, which he does. If those things pile up, what's going to happen from there? Is he going to go into a tailspin or, or, or what? So to be frank, the, I'm more interested in watching what happens to Patrick Reed than Francesco Molinari, but I'm pretty also pretty certain Francesco Molinari will have a more consistent year than Patrick Reed. It just may not mean winning at the same level as he did last year. Um, when you look at the golf the, the PGA Tour landscape. 
You see, you know, so many people do preview podcasts, and I'm purposely trying to, to think outside the box here just because I like thinking outside the box, and I think at least interesting discussions. Um, when, when we look at the golf landscape at the end of the year, who that you and I know as people who eat, sleep, and drink this stuff, um, who will the general public know that, 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 the, that, that we know right now? Who will know them come, you know, July 23rd or whenever the end of the major season is? Well, I hope that people will know Cameron Champ a little bit more. I hope he is successful because I think he's exciting and different. I think people are going to know Bryson DeChambeau even more than they learned this year with the, the four wins. I think he has a very realistic chance of winning a major this year. It's just remarkable how well he has stuck to his system and really gone even further in on it than perhaps even knew as possible. Yeah. I think Cameron Smith has a really good year. I bought into him a lot last year, uh, and he had a very good Masters finish, and then after that didn't really do a whole lot. He did successfully defend his Aussie PGA Championship title, which I think is an achievement for him. I think that's a step forward for a young player to successfully defend the title. I don't care what the caliber of field is. I don't care where it is. That's a big deal for someone that's young. I hope Eddie Pepperell makes a splash when he comes over here in the United States. You stole my name! (laughs) He went from the absolute depths of professional golf wondering whether he should just quit a guy of that talent. And he figured it out. And then I I guess the other guy, since I'm going to steal everything, is, is Matt Wallace. Um... He won a, he's won a lot on the European Tour, I think four times in the last couple of years, four or five times. And every time he wins, like, oh, that's great, but no one was playing in this tournament. And now he's 44th in the world. He is in the Masters. He's in all four majors. So can he take advantage of that and show people that he is more than just a, guy, a regional champion, a guy who can just win against a lesser field? Eddie Pepperell um, had... 10 missed cuts in 2013, 10 in 2014, 11 in 2016. He had not won anything that the World Golf Rankings track from 2010 to now since 2012 before having two wins and two seconds and three fourth to tenth place finishes and only six missed cuts in 2018. Um, and he's hilarious on Twitter. Uh, that's the name that I was looking at. I told my dad the other day, watch out for this guy. You, you, you're going to think it's a joke that I'm bringing it up right now, but just watch out for this guy. Um, I think he really... We talked about this a little bit before him, but Aaron Wise, too. I mean, he has yeah. transformed his body in the offseason. He's gained 25 pounds. Basically, most of it's in an attempt to, to gain muscle. He looks, instead of like a scrawny kid that came out of Oregon, he looks like a buff dude. And if that means good things for his game that the work inside the gym pays off to inside the you know inside the ropes on the golf course and it seemed like it did toward the end of the year you don't just gain 25 pounds in a day it towards the end of the year he was really putting together strong finishes his final four events of the year were all inside the top 16 and he threw on a t5 at the northern trust uh he, he came off of this stretch where he missed five sets in a row and then finished the year in a flurry i, I think he could have a huge year uh, and become someone that could be in the top 20 in the world by the end of the year, too. 16th at Aronimink, 15th at the Tour Championship, takes a break, and then goes 15th in Vegas, 10th in Mayakoba. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm wary about big body changes, and, and we've talked about that before, but this is really interesting. We could go on for days, but I don't have days, and you don't have days. Um, <laughs> 
but we'll do this soon enough. Uh, he is the one, the only Ryan Ballinger. Ryan, thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. You got it.